All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you, Scott, for reading that extremely wordy portion. I'm sure you completely understand everything that was going on there, but I'll do a little bit of explaining along the way. But by the way, hey, good morning once again, Providence. Happy ugly sweater. Sunday, you guys are looking uglier than normal, so you can pat yourself on the back for that. My wife said, hey, you're looking uh, fashionably ugly today. I'm like, what, is, what does that even mean? But I'll take it. But so when I think about uh, celebrating in Christmas and, and Advent and, and the idea of longing for a king and even Isaiah 7, uh, the first place my mind goes to is obviously the movie Karate Kid, okay? <clears throat> How many, just, okay, I know we got a younger crowd here. How many of you know what the Karate Kid is? Oh, thank goodness. How many of you have seen it before? Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better about where we're going here because it was one of the most influential pieces of my 80s childhood that I had. <clears throat> if you remember a scene in The Karate Kid in, in the first movie, you have Daniel, who's the main character. He's this skinny, scrawny, kind of whiny, wimpy guy. And this is before he learns karate. And what happens is he goes to this school dance. You remember it? It's a Halloween dance. And he walks in and he's got this arch nemesis and his cronies. There's five of these guys who are uh, actually much better at karate and they're rough and tough and they hate Daniel. And so Daniel, being the punk he is, he gets this idea to pull a prank on his arch nemesis. So when he goes into the bathroom during this school dance, uh, he puts a hose over the edge of the, the stall and he dumps water on him. And Daniel, if you remember, Daniel's son, He hightails it out of there, runs through the gym, runs out of uh, the parking lot, and starts running across the field, and this guy comes sprinting out of there, and he gets his guys, and they all start chasing after him. And so it's this running, chasing scene, and Daniel's trying to run away, and and he gets to this fence, and he's trying to climb over to get away, and just as he's about ready to get over the fence, these guys catch up with him, and they grab him, they yank him down, and then in true karate fashion with chops and roundhouses and whatever they do while you're, while you're uh, exhibiting karate on someone, they start just beating the tar out of Daniel, right? You remember this? And he's like, done. These guys are, they outnumber him. They're stronger than him. Uh, they, they know karate better than him. And he's like, the odds are stacked against him and he's essentially just getting taken out, okay? Until, you remember, all of a sudden, over the fence, literally over the fence, flies five foot one, 70 year old hero of the story, Mr. Miyagi. Remember? He comes down off the fence, and in a matter of a few chops and roundhouses, in about 30 seconds, he has all five of those high school punk kids on the ground, and he comes to the rescue. Do you remember this epic scene? It's one of the greatest movie scenes ever, right? And in this moment, Daniel is a weakling. But all that mattered at that point was who he had in his corner. He had Mr. Miyagi in his corner. Now, forgive the somewhat silly example. And now, I think this has a little bit to do with with this Isaiah 7 passage that we're talking about today. And although, for us in here, uh, I think this is going to get hit home. Although none of us are are, uh, maybe taking place in an 80s karate drama, right? I do think that a lot of us in here, as we walk in, we're finding ourselves in a little bit of a mess. Like, uh, some of us uh, feel like life is kind of beating us up. The the odds are kind of stacked against us. As a matter of fact, I just told some friends in our church just last week, I said, man, I've never been 
through a season of time with people in our church where I've heard more people tell me just how utterly exhausted and tired they are and how they feel like they're kind of hanging on by a thread. It just seems to be kind of rampant for so many people in this season. And, uh, and for you, if you're coming in here this morning, uh, I just want to ask you very honestly, does it feel for you like life is kind of a mess for you right now? Or is there something in life that feels like it's kind of a mess? Maybe uh, your finances kind of feel like a mess. Or maybe you just don't have money to begin with. Maybe your uh, relational world feels like kind of a mess. Maybe you just lost your job. Or maybe you, have a, you go to work, but your work culture there is just so toxic that you can't wait to get out of it. Maybe your relationship with your spouse or with your kids is kind of a mess right now. Maybe you've got so much tension with another human being that it's just kind of eating you alive as you're sitting here this morning. Or maybe you're battling some sort of pain or a, or a sickness, and you, it, it feels like this mess, and you just want it to go away. If you find yourself in any sort of a mess this morning, I think Isaiah 7 is a timely word for us. And if you don't find yourself in a mess, you can praise God for that, but the unfortunate uh, life of reality in a sin-filled world is that a mess is most likely coming, at least sometime soon. And if you want to, to uh, see a mess around, you could probably just look to your left or right, and you could dive into someone else's mess on their behalf. Now, I want to give you a, a little spoiler alert for Isaiah chapter 7. It tells about how God rescues his people. And it paints a picture of people, or specifically God's people, as really weak. It paints a picture of God's people as people who are needing help. It's just the reality, kind of like Daniel in the movie Karate Kid. And in this passage, it's going to show how God steps into the mess. It's going to go show how God comes in to essentially save the day. I'm not going to compare God to Mr. Miyagi because that's probably heretical on many accounts. But the idea is is that if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, uh, in your mess, God is in your corner. I want to say that again. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a mess right now, God is in your corner. We're going to find this rooted in one word that we find in this scripture that we read, and this one word is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The fact that God is with us makes all the difference. And so I'm going to explain that a little bit more as we go on, but I want us to grasp this truth of Emmanuel, God with us, in our heads this morning, but, but even more so, I want us to believe it in our hearts and actually trust in him, to turn to him. And so we're going to open up our Bibles if you have them. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7. And in Isaiah 7, we're going to see, uh, in our passage for today, we're going to see kind of three stages of this unfolding. First, we're going to see a mess, and then we're going to see an invitation, and then we're going to see a promise, okay? We're going to see this unfold before us. And so let's look at the first couple verses, and we're going to see the mess. So it says in Isaiah 7, 1 through 2, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war 
against it, against God's people, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in a league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now let me explain this because there's a lot of words here, a lot of terms here. So what's happening here is that this, for the first time in Isaiah, is getting us down into the story. So if you remember two weeks ago, Andrew kind of had this overview of the first five chapters that, that looked at God's judgment coming toward his people. It was kind of an introduction. And then last week, Kent talked about Isaiah's vision into the throne room. All of this is kind of an introduction to this passage. And then this, for the first time, kind of like it happens in a movie sometimes. You get an introduction, and then it, it, it zooms into live action. That's what's happening here. We see the first um, part of this narrative start to unfold right here. And it starts um, by talking about Ahaz, the king. So this is God's people, and Ahaz is the king. And we learn that Ahaz is a young king. We learn that he's the king of God's people, but yet he doesn't actually follow God, and he doesn't love God. And we know this because if you look in 2 Kings chapter 16, it gives a description of, of Ahaz, and it, and it gives in this paragraph, it gives a description. It says that Ahaz didn't listen to God. As a matter of fact, he sacrificed and made offerings to to other gods, to, to other things. And it said he was more like the evil kings of the northern kingdom than should have been a true king of God's people. This guy was the king of God's people, yet he ignored God. Now, here's the scenario, if you couldn't quite pick it up from these words here. So Ahaz is the king of Judah, and Judah is a small country. They're kind of like a little dog in a fight, okay? And what it says is there's two countries and two kings that are coming and infringing on their territory, and they want to take them out. And these two dogs, these are more like two medium-sized dogs. And so it's Syria and Ephraim coming down to try to take out this one little dog. So you can imagine two medium-sized countries against one small country, that equals a mess. You're like, okay, what's going to happen next? These guys are are freaked out. It says in verse 2 that they're shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They're anxious. These cards are stacked against him, and they're, they fear that, that their country is going to be decimated. They're going to get killed. But in verse 4, God speaks to Ahaz through Isaiah, and he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, which essentially is just referring to these two countries. Like, don't worry about them. God speaks to Ahaz the prophet, and he says, don't worry about these guys. I'm going to take care of them. But Ahaz continues to be anxious, continues to worry. He believes he knows what's coming because he's heard the plans of these two medium dogs who are going to come potentially take him out and, and That's kind of the initial scenario. Now, there's a broader context to this, too. That these aren't the only three countries that are in this scene. There's actually a big dog who's in this scene, and it's the evil empire of Assyria. And it just so happens that all three of these littler countries are all on Assyria's hit list, and so they're also worried about them. And so what initially happened was Syria and Ephraim, they came to Ahaz, and they came to Judah and said, hey, will you team up with us? And maybe we know that we're going to get taken out by Assyria, but maybe the three of us together could stand some fighting chance against 
Assyria, and King Ahaz turns his back on them, and he says, hey, no way. I'm going to try to pay off the big dog. I'm going to try to bribe the big dog, Assyria, to try to protect me against these two medium-sized countries that are coming against me. So even though Assyria is evil, uh, you see uh, the king of God's people trying to, to make a pact with an evil king. Now, this is a mess right here. Like, they're in trouble. Now, for us here this morning, so maybe I should talk about me first. For, so for me, when I was young, uh, I had a pretty good childhood. Like, my parents loved me. They took care of me. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents, they came to all my basketball games. They supported everything we did. We went out and, and ate pizza together on Friday nights. Like, it was a good, <clears throat> it was a good childhood. And my view of life at that point was, was pretty rosy. Like, like, oh, everything is just kind of fine. Until I graduated from high school and I had this uh, bout with depression and with doubting my faith. It was right after I graduated high school and, and it was for the first time I realized that life could get messy. It, maybe a better uh, description is life could get downright miserable because that's what it was. In that first summer I graduated high school, I remember in my angst uh, just losing 15 pounds because I lost my appetite over uh, over just the, the angst. Now, I kind of came out of that, but I, was, I would say that I'm, I was still pretty insulated after that. When I graduated college, I thought, oh, life is going to be fine. It's going to be great. Until I graduated college, and I realized that I had no marketable skills, and I was a little bit lazy too, okay? And my mess came in the form of my inability to land a job where I end up, ended up unemployed for uh, several months. And I got to the point uh, where I had so little money, I remember uh, searching high and low through my car uh, to try to find, and through my bedroom to try to find change to fill in gas in my car. I was filling in gas with coins because that's how little money I had. And I remember during that, during that time, I lived off the spare change I found, uh, a few dollars that I got from odd jobs here and there, and from a, a 10 spot or a 20 spot from a friend, or every once in a while when they'd splurge and buy me Taco Bell. Like, that was what I was living on. Life was kind of a mess. And then I landed a job in ministry, and I thought, okay, this is perfect, Like, I've stepped out of my mess, I'm growing, I'm gaining respect, I'm gaining skills, I have more money, I have a career, and everything seems to be kind of going up and to the right until four years after that, I made another transition where I had no job again, and I couldn't find a job. And in the middle of that, I got a sickness that left me bedridden for four weeks, which extended my unemployment for a total of six months, and and it was just another mess. Then I kind of swung out of that. And then uh, a few years later, then kids come. And let me tell you, kids are a mess. If you have four kids, five and under, which I do, uh, it becomes a mess. Should I give you the deep? You want me to tell you about the diaper that I changed yesterday? Like, this is a mess. Now, here's why I say that. I think that, that, when, um, that when we're young, a lot of us have a tendency to have... Uh, 
an idealistic view of the future. We think, man, we're going to get our lives together. Things are going to start working out. The circumstances are going to get better. And let me tell you this. In my my experience, the older I get, the more I realize that mess is the norm and not the exception. Like, kids will disappoint you. Uh, you're going to have increased responsibility that's going to lead to all sorts of stress and anxiety. Uh, you're going to get more uh, medical diagnoses that aren't good. You're going to have more friends and family diagnosed with cancer. You're going to, to face more uh, relational issues with people around you. Now, I realize this isn't exactly the happy-go-lucky, ugly Christmas sweater kind of talk at this point, but this is just what happens when you have seven billion people who are sin-filled people who are living in a sinful earth. There is no self-help book to avoid messes. It's actually impossible. But when you're backed into a corner and odds are stacked against you, what do you do? Well, Isaiah 7 would tell us that in these moments, God gives an invitation. So I want to look at this second section uh, and very simply title it Invitation. Look at verse 10 and verse 11 into this mess. It says in verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now let me describe what's, what's, uh, what's going on here. Now God had already told Ahaz, don't worry about these two enemies, Ephraim and Syria. You don't have to worry about them. I'm going to take care of them. And, and uh, Ahaz, in this moment, he doesn't listen. In this mess, what does Ahaz do? He actually crawls into bed with the enemy. In 2 Kings 16, once again, it tells us that Ahaz, instead of trusting God, um, he went to the king of Assyria and he offered essentially all of his country's silver and gold. And he offered, hey, whatever you want from us, we'll be your servants. We're yours. He sold his soul to this evil king of Assyria. And he said, I'll do this as long as you take out these two enemies that are right in front of me. Instead of trusting God, Ahaz turns to an enemy king. But, but God actually gives him another chance. You see, uh, God is saying to him, he says, you don't have to sell out to Assyria. Let, let, me, let, me, let me show you this. And God says to Ahaz in verse 10, he says, ask for a sign, any sign as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And in other words, God is saying, <clears throat> you ask for any miraculous or supernatural or otherworldly thing, ask for anything and I'll do it to show you that I will take out these enemies for you, that they won't come down to get you. He's saying, ask anything. He said, ask for the sun to rise in the west instead of the east. Ask for the Jordan River to flow the opposite direction. Ask for, uh, the, ask for an audible voice from heaven. I mean, ask for anything. Ask for Iowa football to win the national championship. I mean, ask for anything miraculous, and I'm going to do it. I think that's funny too, by the way. And Ahaz responds by saying, I will not ask, I will not put God to the test. 
Uh, don't be fooled. This is false humility. Ahaz isn't uh, trying to protect God. He isn't humble. He has no interest in a sign from God because he doesn't follow God. He doesn't believe God. He doesn't trust in God. And he believes that what he can muster up in his mess, his own plan, his own, uh, his own way forward is going to be anything that any, or is going to be better than anything that God can offer him. Now, does this sound familiar at all? It, it kind of reminds me of uh, my determined yet stubborn three-year-old, Liv. Uh, she uh, so often uh, wants to do things her way. I'm just reminded of this over and over. Just last week, uh, very simply, we have this new remote control car that we got, and she wanted to drive it, but yet the batteries in the remote were dead. And I said, okay, I'll go get you batteries. And I bring over these AA batteries to put in this remote. And I, say, and I started doing it. She goes, no, 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 let me do it. And a three-year-old and batteries in a remote just doesn't work. And, and she starts trying it, and she's fumbling, and they're dropping. And I know that even if she could somehow figure out how to get the batteries past the little spring in the remote that there's no way that she'd get all the batteries facing the right direction because she doesn't know what direction they would face. And so I'm watching her fumble and fail and stumble as she's trying to, to carry out her own plan, saying that she wants to do it. And I knew that it just wouldn't work out. But even though I could take care of it, uh, she wanted to try it herself. We act like this quite often. In your mess, uh, what have you done with God's invitation to help you? Ahaz refuses the sign, and, and God says, you know what, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Maybe you remember, or you heard this from what Scott read in, in verse 14 and verse 15, or excuse me, I'm going to read 14 and verse 16. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 16, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, <clears throat> when we hear this language, the virgin, the son, Emmanuel, our mind immediately goes to the Christmas story, right? It goes to, to baby Jesus. But it is important to know that when prophets prophesied, uh, there were many times cycles of fulfillment of a prophecy. And if a, if a prophet would give a, a prophetic word to a leader like happened uh, in the Old Testament there would almost always be an immediate or, or somewhat immediate fulfillment. This wasn't just talking about Jesus, but there was an actual fulfillment that would come in the day that he prophesied to, uh, to, in this place, to Ahaz. As a matter of fact, if you jump just to the next chapter in Isaiah 8, there was an actual son born, like Jesus predicted, or excuse me, like, like God had predicted it was Isaiah's own son, and his name was very confusing. It's Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And, and this son who was born confirmed what God was saying in that before this, this uh, son could talk, before he could eat the solid food, those enemies, Ephraim and Syria, were actually taken out. So God was true to his word. He did exactly what he said. He came to the rescue. So maybe one of the morals of the story is take God up on his invitation because he's going to follow through. Well, what exactly is his invitation that he's giving? Why does he say Emmanuel? Why, why is he giving this sign? Well, in verse 15, it says that this boy shall be called Emmanuel, and we know that means God with us. 
And we say that a lot at Christmas time. And a lot of times when we say God with us, we think about um, kind of this soft, comforting presence of God who is near us, who's going to help us. However, in Old Testament times, the phrase God with us had military connotations. If God is with you, it meant no one could stand against you. If God is on your side, it meant you would win. God with us is actually war talk. And if Emmanuel is true, if God is with you, if he's on your side, you will win because he will win. If you were under attack, like Ahaz was under attack, the best news that you could receive is Emmanuel, that God is with you. It meant that he was going to win. He was going to fight on your behalf and he was going to win because God is with you. He will fight for you. Does anyone this morning feel their need for Emmanuel? To God, to, for God to fight for you in your mess. See, God through Isaiah put this on a platter for Ahaz to, to take a hold of. To say, hey, God is with you. Don't you trust me? And Ahaz didn't trust, and he walked away. And I think a lot of us who are maybe uh, struggling, who maybe feel like we're exhausted or we're in a mess or we have relational issues, financial issues, whatever the case may be, uh, medical issues, and we feel like we're kind of sitting in in a mess, we, we feel this need for Emmanuel. We know we want God on our side so we can actually win, so he can rescue us, so he can deliver us. Now, wouldn't it be nice if God came to us, approaching us, and said, hey, I'm going to give you a sign, and, and I'm going to give you direct words, and he's, he was going to guarantee a victory for us, that everything would be okay. Well, friends, here's the good news for us this morning, that God has given us that sign. He has given us our Emmanuel, But the unfortunate news is we may be a little bit more like Ahaz than we realize. Instead of turning to our Emmanuel, instead of uh, trusting God, we've turned to quick fixes. We've turned to our own kings of Assyria, uh, things that promise a little escape now but not later, things that, that promise maybe immediate relief now but promise enslavement Later, we turn to the simplest things like glasses of wine. We turn to uh, pornography. We turn to spending money. We turn to hoarding money. We turn to unhealthy, uh, bad relationships. We turn to buying things and uh, acquiring wealth or acquiring our dream house. And we do all of this uh, and avoid turning to our Emmanuel promise. So what is it? What is the promise that God has actually given to us? What, is, what does Emmanuel mean for us? Well, it's not Maher Shalal Hashbaz promising that God is going to take down a country, but, but the Emmanuel fulfillment uh, plays out to us too. And Matthew in the New Testament describes exactly what that is in Matthew 1, 21 through 23. So I want to read this. This is the promise. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. Jesus is our Emmanuel promise. Jesus is our proof that God will fight on our behalf. Now, yes, it is true. Uh, what we a lot of times apply Emmanuel as during the Christmas season, yes, it's true that God has come near to us. Yes, it's true that, that God in Jesus, he, was, he, he is with us because he has come in the flesh and blood, that yes, he has walked among us. He has talked among us. He has laid his hands on us. He has prayed for us. He was actually very physically God with us. That is a true part of Emmanuel, but Matthew, the author here, is showing us how this Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in another and greater way. That just like God promised to deliver his people in Isaiah, God was promise, promising to deliver his people through Jesus. Just like Emmanuel meant a promised boy would promise that two nations would be defeated. Right now, here in Matthew, there's another boy who's going to fulfill this in a much greater way. It's the same principle, that God is acting on his behalf to deliver his people, to fight for his people. But the enemy isn't the country of Syria. The enemy is much, much, much bigger. The enemy is sin and Satan. But the good news is, is that God, through Jesus, has waged a war on sin and death and Satan through Jesus on our behalf, and he has won. He has delivered us. Jesus being born is our sign of Emmanuel, but he is also the application of Emmanuel. He, ha- he is the king who has fought for us. He is God with us. Jesus uh, delivers us. He wins for us. He is the king that we have been longing for. So what exactly does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean in our messes right now? Does it mean that we just pray and everything kind of goes our way? Is that, is that what it's talking about? I, I remember, uh, shamefully, uh, in my mid twenties, I watched uh, MTV reality shows. And I remember that there was this one show where everyone was competing against each other. And the contest was essentially Everyone needed to ride this mini bike across this pool of water that had a balance beam that went across it. And you're supposed to ride across this balance beam, and if you got all the way across, you won. And uh, contestant after contestant failed, failed, failed. And then it came to this girl who was supposedly a Christian. She probably was. I don't know. Uh, and, it, as it clo- and it did a close-up on her. She started chanting, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all... And she started pedaling, and she got about three feet, and then she fell into the water. (laughs) Needless to say, Jesus being Emmanuel isn't like a genie who just grants us our wishes, right? But rather, he defeats sin. He defeats death. He has defeated Satan. So what does God with us mean for us right here and right now? Well, first of all, it means if you have never placed your trust in Jesus, if you have never accepted this invitation, it means that in your mess, you can go from fighting it on your own right now to a place where Jesus said, I will forgive you, I will remove your sin from you, I will live with you, and you can come join and be a part of my family. You were once far off, and now you are 
near. That is the Emmanuel promise to someone who has never believed, and it is an invitation that you can freely accept this morning. God wants to be in your corner. He wants to fight for you. He wants God with us to be real for you if you've never believed. If you have believed and your struggle is, is, or if your mess is a sin struggle or it's an addiction struggle here this morning, it means that, first of all, Emmanuel, he died for the penalty of that sin. That is no longer held against you. You don't have to feel the guilt of that sin. He has removed it from you, but also on top of that, in your struggle, in your addiction, uh, Emmanuel has promised to send his spirit into your life to mold and shape and transform your mind and your heart, to give you new desires so that you can have victory over that very thing that is causing the mess right now. If you are worried or anxious about school or, or finances, man, the, the invitation, or whatever you may be worried about, the invitation is, is to surrender to Emmanuel. Take your grips of control off whatever you're trying to control. He, he wants to invite you in to, to rest, to fight for you, and trust God's good provision for you, his child. If your mess is your marriage, would you believe that Emmanuel Jesus is fighting this battle for you? Would you believe that in your marriage, the grievances that maybe you have committed against each other, that those things have already been paid for, they have been forgiven by Jesus, and now he is empowering you to be able to forgive one another? And if God can take a, a, a person, a sinful person who is his enemy and make him a friend and bring him into a family, he can surely reconcile the two of you back to each other. If your mess is just that you're plain exhausted and you find yourself feeling empty and lifeless and maybe you're just trying to escape, maybe you're trying to escape to... Uh, this nostalgic Christmas season to kind of make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Maybe you're just holding on till Christmas vacation comes so you can take a couple days off. Maybe uh, you're trying to come up with a 2019 personal growth plan. Emmanuel is saying to you, relax. You don't have to mastermind a plan uh, to get out of this slump. You don't have to solve this problem. You can let go of this sin of, of control and Emmanuel can deliver you. He invites you in to get rest in him, and he will fight this season for you. And man, if, if your struggle is one of the umpteen thousand things that I didn't mention, man, would you just step forward toward Jesus in this season, toward Emmanuel, and, and just believe in him. Just trust that he's fighting this battle for you. And if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, those are a lot of ideas, but what practically do I do? What am I going to do when I get out to my car in 30 minutes and I drive? What am I going to do in this season? I would just very simply say, could you pray to Jesus, your manual? Could you listen to him? And then could you just trust and do what he says? Providence, amidst our messes, could we long for Emmanuel? The sign has come. The birth of Jesus is here. 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus was the proof that he fought for us and we have been brought into his family. We are his, he is ours, and may we not turn to our own devices, but may we trust in him. The bad news is bad, but the good news is good. He will fight for us. And just like Judah saw this Emmanuel promise come on a small scale and be fulfilled, we have now seen it on a much bigger scale. We have seen Jesus come to our side and he has fought the battle of sin and death and Satan for us now that we can be rescued and delivered from this. Could we trust in him that God is with us and at the same time this Advent season, could we even look forward to the fact when Jesus comes again, when there will be a complete and full fulfillment of this promise that God will be with us. No more pain, no more tears. We will be with him uninhibited once and for all. Let's be a a people that long for Emmanuel. Let's long for our King Jesus. Let me pray. Uh, God, I'm thankful for uh, the fact that Um, even though we have run from you and we have rebelled against you and our hearts are many times closer um, to Ahaz than they are uh, similar to you, Jesus, uh, you still have come and fought our battle for us. You have come and, and delivered us. God, I pray that as um, we maybe uh, step out of the, the shine and the shimmer of all these Christmas parties and maybe even Christmas sweater Sunday um, where it is fun and happy-go-lucky and we're smiling and all of that, uh, God, uh, and we step, maybe we feel the, the pressure, the pain, the angst. God, uh, could we remember, Emmanuel, that you are with us, that you are in our corner, that you are fighting for us? Uh, Jesus, would this become a reality in our heads? Would it become a reality in our hearts, turning into a reality in our actions? Jesus, we thank you so much that you've come, that you have been our Emmanuel promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.